morning, everyone. I'm, I'm Ed. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're visiting with us, thanks so much for coming and welcome. And once again, Happy New Year. As Jordan said, we're in a series of conversations that we've called Set Sail. And the analogy that we're using is, you know, as we think about our, our spiritual life or our emotional life, they're kind of three modes of transportation. There are three ways that we can go after it. And one way is we're just a raft and we're floating along and taking, going wherever the current takes us. Another is we can be a rowboat. We can work really hard at our, our, our spiritual life or our emotional life try, trying to make progress. But, but the Bible advocates an approach that's more like sailing where we participate with the wind and the energy that fuels our journey is, is the wind. But we have to develop habits and skills that will help us know how to, how to participate with the wind, how to, how to take advantage of the wind. I want to show you something. Uh, let's imagine that this is us and we're a sailboat. So we're, we're, we're looking from the top down at the water and we're sailing along. So look at, think of it like this. Draw a circle. Here we are. Um, yeah, here we are on the lake sailing along. And let's imagine that the wind is coming from this direction, just like that. Well, you can sail right here. And it's, this is us on our boat. Here is me. Here is Diane. Uh, you can sail right here in, in kind of contact with the wind, wind blowing this way. It's called close hauled. Or you can sail in this direction at a 90 degrees from the wind. It's called uh, beam reach. You can also sail this way. Same thing on the other side. You can sail this way. It's called broad reach. Or you can sail like this. It's called dead downwind. But what you cannot do is you cannot sail here. Imagine, you know, like 10 and 2 on a clock. You can't sail here because if you do, the, the, the sails uh, don't have any contact. They don't have any tension or support from the wind. And it's called being in irons and the, the sails just flap. They don't help you at all. You make no progress. You can't sail here. You're in irons. So how do we in our spiritual life avoid being in irons? How do we be in position with the wind so that we're fully supported by the wind or we're in contact with the wind in a way that allows us to make progress? Well, in order to do that, we need, we need certain habits. We need routines in our life. We need something that will support that progress so that we get where we want to go emotionally, like in our relationships, if, if you're married in our, our marriage with our kids, kids with your parents, or spiritually in our connection with God and, and living a, a, the right kind of life, the life God designed us. In order to do that, to make progress in that direction, we have to have certain habits, certain routines in our life. And last week, we talked about the first of those habits. We said it was using resources with wisdom and purpose. So, <clears throat> boys and girls, it's so good to have you this morning. Imagine now for a second, you're in the class that you hate at school and the teacher makes you repeat after them. So we're going to do that now. On three, we're all going to say, using resources with wisdom and purpose. One, two, three. Wow, you've never sounded so excited. And this week's habit is practice creative devotion. 
On three, we're going to say, practicing creative devotion. One, two, three. I think there were some boys and girls that didn't say it, but I heard some of you say it. So way to go. All right, let me, uh, before we jump in, let me kick us off with a quick word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for drawing us here. That's what we believe. We're convinced of it. That we're not here by accident. We're here because you've drawn us. I pray, Lord, that you would forgive me of my sin and enable me to what, what is said here would be your word. And, Lord, I also pray that you would forgive all of us of our sin, that we would be able to hear what you're saying. Lord, we pray that uh, today, we pray just for a measure of inspiration uh, to step in and, and um, <clears throat> rededicate ourselves to de- devoting time to you, like all-in time fully engaged with you. It will set us up so that the entire, the living of our lives, the whole practice of our lives will be an exercise in worship when we have that, that dedicated time. We offer this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as I was praying, look, all of life is worship. We, in everything we do, we worship something. All of us, all the time. We're worshiping ourselves or we're worshiping some cause that we're committed to, or we're worshiping God. And for the Christian, the goal of our lives is to worship God with all of our lives. And in order to do that, as a lifestyle, in order for everything in our life to be an act of worship, we have to have some practice of regular time spent dedicated to God, to hearing from Him, to to, uh, speaking to Him, to learning more about Him, to loving Him. There has to be a set of practices that enable us to do that. This has got to be a habit of our lives. We have to practice creative devotion. Now I say creative devotion because if our practices don't work for us, they won't work for us. If our practices don't fit our personality or our spirit, then it will not work for us. Practice creative devotion. Now, You may know that in the Bible, the book of Psalms is like a manual for worship. So to give us some inspiration this morning, to help us focus on our topic, practice creative devotion, I I I want to focus on one Psalm, Psalm 63, and I want to talk about from this Psalm five principles. Some of them are almost like prerequisites. I'm cheating. It's really four, but we're going to make it five. Five principles. I'm not going to spend that long on each one. Five principles related to a personal devotional life. We're going to look at Psalm 63. If you have a Bible or Bible app on your phone, I would love for you to look because I'm going to be referencing back to Psalm 63 a number of times and, and some, of the, some of the language of the psalmist. I'm going to say this again in a minute, but look, this, this is not a, a how-to manual. This is written by David, and he's not, he's not setting out to tell us how to have a, a devotional time. This is just a poem of love to God, and yet in that poem, he reflects several practices in his own life that that are part of his devotional life. So Psalm 63, and uh, let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's word. It will be on the screen. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you with my whole heart. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary 
and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wing. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They'll be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him while the mouths of liars will be silenced. All right, you may be seated. Five principles that spill out of this related to our personal devotional life. Personal devotional life, creative devotional life. I'm talking about a regular time we set aside. For me, it's every day. When I'm, I'm doing something, I'm reading the Bible or I'm praying or I'm doing something that helps me connect with God, hear from him, listen to him, love him, learn more about him. Personal devotional life, number one, requires that we recognize our need for God. I know that's obvious. If you came to a place like this, you know this, but let's, let's rehearse it. Oh God, you are my God, the psalmist begins. Earnestly, I seek you among a pantheon of available gods and available causes and outlets, by the way. It's you that I seek out. Jesus said it like this, the first and greatest commandment, order your whole life around this. Love God with your whole being. Personal devotion requires that we recognize our need for God at all times and in all circumstances. We need God, but we will not, we will not devote ourselves to him until we recognize that need. A number of years ago, I had a friend who had a heart attack, and I heard him talking about that uh, a long time later. He said one of the most compelling things that had happened to him through this period was he had somebody come visit him in the hospital and say, you know, was it a good heart attack? And he thought, was it a good, what? Is there such a thing? And this person, of course, of course pointed out, uh, well, if it changes your lifestyle and your life habits so that you're more healthy, it could very well be a good heart attack. And in his case, it was. It was a pretty mild heart attack, and it was a complete reset for him. He, he re reset the way he eat, ate, uh, the way, he, you know, his sleeping habits. It became a very good heart attack for him. He needed that heart attack. It got his attention. In the same way, we need God. And sometimes our even difficult circumstances will remind us of that. We won't devote ourselves to him until we know that, that we need him. The Hebrew word in verse 1 is a shahar. It means to long for or to look for early and diligently. Earnestly I seek you, our translation has it. At all times and in all circumstances, we need God and we will not devote ourselves to him unless and until we recognize that need. I have a young friend who had a very serious health scare uh, some time ago. He texted a group of friends and he said, hey, I'm scared. Here's what's happening. I've been crying out to God. Please pray with me. You know, here's, here's my prayer request. And on that text chain, 
Same thing. Someone reminded this friend that Jesus would be very pleased with his response in this circumstance, so it was all good. Now, when you first read that text, it sounded a little off, but think about it. I think Jesus would say on that text, I'm so sorry that you're experiencing this trauma, but remember, you're actually in a good place right now. You've been reminded how desperately you need me. You've you've recognized that there's no other solution here, and that's good because you could have run to many other kinds of solutions, but you've come here, and that's a good thing. There are those of us who get to desperate spots, and we reach for something that will help us deny or distract from our circumstances. We reach for some kind of alternative. The miracle is that we don't all do that all the time, but there are those of you who are incredible examples of that miracle. You recognize your need for God and you lean into that need even in the worst times. Personal devotion requires that recognition. Personal devotion requires that we recognize our need for God. That's the starting place. Secondly, this is the cheating part. Personal devotion requires that we recognize our need for God. My soul thirsts for you, David said. My body longs for you as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. What a rich image. If you have a Bible, or if you don't, go look at this later. Uh, I want you to notice the heading of Psalm 63. There's a, there's a little heading even above the first verse, and it says this. A Psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. Listen, ancient Near Easterners understood hunger and thirst in a way that few of us understand it. David is speaking out of actual life experiences here where he felt life-threatened by thirst. In fact, he's in a desert as he wrote this psalm. Our relationship with God, our relationship with God is not an add-on. It's not a nice feature that helps us be a better person. He is the air we breathe. He's the bread that sustains us. He's the wind that fuels our lives. We don't make any meaningful progress without him. Look at verse 3 in this psalm. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Paul said essentially the same thing in his letter to the Philippians. Listen to this. Paul said, for to me, to live is Christ. To die would be gain. Let's state the obvious. Life with God was not casual for the psalmist or for Paul. Hear that and be reminded. And it will not be for us if we're going to practice creative devotion. One of the reasons that we don't sustain this practice in our lives, we let it go. We wake up in the morning, we realize how much we've got to do. We buzz into our day before we give any time to God. One of the reasons that becomes the regular habit for us is because we don't recognize our need for God. Uh, One commentary I read on this psalm described it well. He said, quote, the longing of these verses is not the groping of a stranger feeling his way toward God, but the eagerness of a friend, almost a lover, to be in touch with the one that she holds most dear. We need God. As I noted, some of us think of our religion as a nice add-on. It's like a great, it's a, it's a great addition to an otherwise groovy suburban life. Boys and girls, if I'm resurrecting the term suburb, uh, groovy, by the way. In fact, that's a pretty pretty normal way of approaching religion. 
It's a great, a great feature. It makes us a better person, will make us a better family. In general, we have very good lives. We should be mostly satisfied with our groovy suburban circumstances. If we could just find the right add-on, then, then our lives would be pleasant indeed most of the time. And religion, that's a very good add-on. But that kind of approach is far too casual for someone who is personally devoted to Jesus Christ. It's, it's completely normal, but it's not the approach of personal devotion. Personal devotion requires that we recognize our need for God. I don't know if you have seen the movie Cast Away, but Tom Hanks plays this guy who is uh, alone on a deserted island, and his first night, he's thirsty and he needs water, among other things. He's also scared, and he starts hearing this thump in the sands. He, he wakes up and he, you know, wonders what it is and who, who it is. And then he, he sees a coconut fall out of the tree, hit the sand and make that thump sound. He realizes that coconuts are falling around him. And oh, he recognizes that coconuts have coconut water inside them. So there's this great scene where Tom Hanks is trying to figure out how to get into a coconut so he can drink the water. And it's not easy. You know, he bruises and his hands are bruised and bleeding as he tries to figure out a way to get into the coconut without spilling the water. It's a perfect illustration. We're thirsty. We need God. And it can be difficult. Uh, let's not kid ourselves. It can be difficult figuring out how to drink from a spiritual hose. But we don't give up because we need it. Third, personal devotion requires active commitment. It requires active commitment. You've got to be in. You've got to say yes with your mind, heart, and will. Earnestly I seek you, the psalmist cried. Remember our Hebrew word translated earnestly, shahar? It, in its most simple verbal form, that word literally means early or at dawn or very first thing. Isn't that interesting? But here in this psalm, it's, it's in its more intensive form where it usually means to be intent on or, or to be earnest about something. So can you feel the thrust of the, this word? It means to seek something first thing as of first importance with, with deep commitment. This is why older translations in English have translated this, early will I seek you. I believe our translation is better. Earnestly I will seek you. I'm in God. You are first. I seek you above and before anything. That's why, that's what the psalmist is saying. And, and that's why saints throughout the ages who have been serious about their devotion to God have given God the first spot on their schedule every day. First thing in the morning, every day. This is a centuries-old Christian practice, and this is why personal devotion requires active commitment. I will praise you as long as I live, he says in verse 4. I mean, this is an all-in all the time, forever commitment. In fact, sometimes our devotional activity not, is not just commitment, active commitment. It's aggressive commitment. Look down at verse 8. My soul clings to you, says the psalmist. And older translations often said of this, my soul follows hard after you. In other words, I'm aggressive about this, God, because I need you. I'm all in. Look, sometimes a, a relationship commitment is easy. When Diane and I first started dating, I would give up sleeping and eating to be with Diane, and those were my two favorite commitments at that point in my life. 
But sometimes relationship commitment is difficult. Sometimes the choice is harder. It is the same with God. When it's easy, when I feel close to God, or when I'm in, or when I've had a, an emotional connection or an emotional experience, I, I have to choose him. I have to choose to devote myself to him. And when I'm distant, or when life gets overwhelmingly busy or overwhelmingly difficult, well then, I have to be aggressive about my commitment. The commitment doesn't change, the intensity may, because I have to be in, I have to be committed to this. It's not just a good idea. Hey, it's completely normal to loosen our grip on our relationship with God when we get stretched emotionally or physically. And if you are experiencing that now, that's completely normal. And I've experienced it many times. The incredible miracle is in those moments of clinging to God, earnestly seeking him through the busiest or through the hardest or through the worst of it. That's the miracle. That's the abnormal thing. But that's what devotion looks like. A few years ago, we lost a friend here at, at Gateway, an elder. His name was Tom. And Tom's body was increasingly racked by cancer over the course of a few months. He was afraid, and uh, frankly, during that period of time, he was struggling with doubt at times. He, he didn't want to leave his wife. He didn't want to leave his children. He didn't believe his work here was finished. And he honestly, he wondered about purpose. He wondered about eternity. He was stretched as thin as possible, as thin as possible, emotionally and spiritually and physically. But Tom followed hard after God. He clung to God through, through that time, through the questions, through the doubt even. He earnestly sought God, and I was privileged to watch it. And that's, what, that's what personal devotion looks like. In fact, increasingly, Tom's commitment to Jesus Christ became his main sustenance. And it was his supreme commitment. Personal devotion requires active, sometimes aggressive, commitment. You may be going through something hard right now. It's normal to loosen your grip. The miraculous thing is to cling, and you can do it. You can do it. You can and you'll be better for it. Here's what we're saying. If we're going to make emotional and spiritual progress this year, if we're going to get where we want to go, where we were designed for, for if we're going to get to the life that's beating within us, that God has placed in us, then we will have to practice creative devotion. And practicing creative devotion requires that I recognize my need for God. It requires that I recognize my need for God, and it requires active commitment. Fourth, the habit of personal devotion requires specific spiritual practices. It has to be more than just an idea or a feeling. Personal devotion requires spiritual practices, actual routines, to-do lists. Remember, the habit we're talking about is to practice creative devotion. So we will need some practical routines, and we will need to try different things to get there because if it doesn't work for you, it will not work for you. That's the creative part of the habit. It has to be more than good intentions. We, have, we, have, we need actual routines and practices that will help us. That's the practice part. And they need to be done in ways that actually help us. That's the creative part. So I want us to, um, let's think about prayer this morning. 
There, now, look, there are all kinds of ways that you can pray. I recognize that this, uh, this next minute and a half is going to be a little bit artificial. Come on. But I, I'm, we're doing this uh, for the boys and girls among us. The boys and girls from uh, 8 to 90. So we're going to try just uh, different modes of prayer. Let's do that. Uh, why don't you stand with me? Um, this is going to be a little shocking to some of you. Um, others of you, a really good reminder, but do you know that you can walk while you pray? In fact, I love the habit of prayer walking. Walk around my neighborhood and pray. It, it helps me. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, adult ADD, so for me, often my prayer life, when I'm trying to sit at a desk and pray, my prayer life is, you know, God, good morning. Today, who's that out there in the cul-de-sac? Uh, no, God, thank you. So, oh, I've got it. You know what? I've got, got to get gas before. Uh, so it helps me. Something to move helps me. So we're going to say, Pete, go to the next slide. If you need help, this is the Lord's Prayer. Literally. Boys and girls, you're included. I want you to take 30 seconds. Be as focused as you can. I know it's weird. You're in a room full of people. But find a space, the row in front of you or right outside your row. You're going to walk for 15 seconds uh, while you're saying the Lord's Prayer, just silently to yourself. You're going to have to keep your eyes open because you don't want to run into people. But if you can close your eyes, then do so. I'm not kidding. 15 seconds, you're going to move, and you're going to say the Lord's Prayer silently to yourself. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You don't have to, I'll stop you. If you're not through the whole thing, that's okay. But I, I literally want you to move. Now, for some of you, this is... This, you think this is especially stupid. I get it. So just take three steps and then come back three steps. But I want you to move. All right, go. Now sit down. Point of the exercise is you can actually walk and pray. Now I would like for you to get up uh, to as close to the front of your chair as you can so that you're sitting at the front edge of your chair. And I want you to either be, uh, I want you to either be like this or, or hands in your lap. I want eyes closed, head down, and I want you as focused as you can be. If you need the prompt of what's on the screen, do it. But again, I want you to pray the Lord's Prayer. And this time, with each phrase of the Lord's Prayer, use that as a prayer prompt. So be as far up on your seat as you can be. And head down, focused. Use this as a prayer prompt. So our Father who art in heaven, then take two seconds and just Offer that up. Praise him. And then uh, your kingdom come, your will be done. Then, then pray that into that, surrendering to his kingdom, his will. All right, go. In Jesus' name, amen. How are we doing, boys and girls? Okay, one more. This time you'll have to keep your eyes closed because of uh, some of you will be embarrassed. But, but uh, David says, I lift up hands. So uh, for those of you who struggle with this, you know, just give it one of those. Um, some of you, you can be all in. You, you know, give him, give him this. Or maybe some of you want to give him this. I want your eyes closed. I want you getting comfortable sitting back in your chair. I want your hands raised. And this time when you pray, I want you especially focused on that second phrase. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my life, in my family, even as it is in heaven, in my circumstances. This is you too, boys and girls. I want hands in the air. We're gonna, all going to close our eyes and then get as far through this as you can before I interrupt you. Okay, let's pray. Hands up. Let's pray. One, two, halfway, doesn't matter. 
In Jesus' name, amen. So, look, you can, you can pray in all kinds of different ways. Uh, what you have to do is, is pray in a way that works for you. It has to be more than intention. It has to be, you got to do it. Now, look, I know David isn't outlining, as I said earlier, spirit, he's not outlining spiritual practices in this psalm. Here's how to have a devotional life. That's not the point of this psalm. He's speaking poetically, but in this poetry, we see a surprising amount of actual routine and practices reflected. And, and I want to look at those. So we're going to especially look at verses 2 through 7. Pete, pull that up on the screen if you would. Look at verse 2. In verse 2, there are really two practices that are hinted at. First, there's the practice of being in God's presence with others like this. That's what he means by sanctuary. And then, look at it. There's the practice of remembering those times. There were times when I was with you in your presence. So he had the habit in his life of being in a setting like this with other people, worshiping God. And he remembered those times. Look at, look at verse 3. Obviously, David was familiar with praising the Lord as a devotional practice. In fact, if you're familiar with the Psalms, you know David was very familiar with that. But this practice of praising is amplified. Verse 4, the practice of lifting up his hands. Verse 5, it's amplified with singing to God. So we have the practice of gathering corporately with believers and then remembering the, that uh, those worship experiences and then praising God and praising God amplified with lifting hands and praising God amplified by singing. Verse 6, he adds, reflecting on God. When I remember you on my bed. Obviously, the psalmist had times of actively turning his mind to God, probably early in the morning and late at night. And then, verse 6b, he adds meditating on God. He, he turns some thought over about God, over and over in his mind. Then again, in verse 7, he adds singing to the list once again. He even has a note here about remembering God through the watches of the night, and that was different times of the night when the, the guard would pass by, all clear, those were the watches of the night. And there were, there were times when th through the night, David would pray in the watches of the night that would remind him to praise God, to offer what's coming up this, this day. Again, the psalmist didn't write this as a technical list of things that he does to stay in a relationship with God. This is just an outpouring of his heart. But that makes it even more powerful to me. The practice of devoting ourselves to God, the habit of being in relationship with him, it will take on practical routines, regular habits, Good intention is not enough. This isn't an exhaustive list, of course. The idea is for you to build your own list. It will center on prayer and Bible, but that will not be all it is. Personal devotion requires that we practice creative devotion. It requires that we find ways, as Paul put it, to never let our zeal for the Lord be lacking. Never. Fifth, and finally, personal devotion results in belief and hope that transcends circumstances. And I want, to, I want to remind you of how this psalm ends. Uh, hey, those who seek my life will be destroyed. They'll go down to the depths of the earth. They'll be given over to the sword and become food for... That means that actively at that point in his life, there were people seeking his life. But by faith, David knows those people are going to be destroyed God is going to elevate me. And that faith, that hope, comes out of this life of devotion. So if you want to live with 
positivity, if you want to live with hope, if you want to live with faith about your current circumstances, that comes out of a connection with God, a devotional life with God. All right, I'm going to end with some practical suggestions and then some lab work. Uh, Number one, practical suggestions. Try some new kinds of ways of prayer. This year, this week, try some new prayer ways. Walk. Find a prayer partner. Some of you write out your prayers. That's also a great exercise. Try that if you've never tried that. Secondly, set a Bible reading goal this year. You might want to uh, read through one of the Gospels during the season of Lent this year. Or you might want to, um, Billy Graham, you say, I, I stole this from Billy Graham, and I've done this off and on a number of times over the years. Every month, he did this for his whole life. Every month, he reads the Psalms and Proverbs. It's part of his, he read, the, he's no longer living, but he read the Psalms and Proverbs. So he would do it by reading Psalm 1, Psalm, on day 1, first day of the month, June 1, Psalm 1, Psalm 31, Psalm 61, Psalm 91, Psalm 121, and then Proverbs 1. And by the end of the month, he had read the entire book of Psalms and the book of Proverbs, and he did this every month. Uh, or read through the New Testament this year, or read through the Bible this year. I'm, I'm trying uh, to read through the Bible this year, and I've got one of those, uh, you can find that, just Google, read through the Bible. There are tons of different plans. I'm using one this year where you read five days a week, which allows me the weekend to catch up for those days when I was slack. So, uh, you know, set a Bible reading goal for yourself this year. Maybe you want to try to read a gospel to just get, get Jesus this year, whatever. A third, do a serious Bible study sometime this year. In my experience, in my experience, uh, and echoes of this are in testimonies of the saints in the, in the Old and New Testament. In my experience, there are seasons of growth in my life have come from um, primarily two sources. Suffering or times when I set aside real intensity. And I say, I'm going to go for it for this, this semester. Or, you know, seminary was that for me. Just years of focus going for it. There have been other times in my life where I'm going to take this 18 weeks and do this serious Bible study with this group. And it's, it's every day. It's a long time every day. It's a lot. It's homework. And those produce, those are seasons of growth for me. Do a serious Bible study at some point this year for a week or for a whole season. Set some time aside and go for it. With a group of people, even better. Uh, Fourth, I already talked about this last week. Take a one-day retreat sometime this year. Fifth, set set a, a, a Sabbath goal for you and for your family if you're married with kids. Next, try journaling. Next, try memorizing Scripture. If you don't have that as a habit, it is a rich habit. Finally, get creative. All right, let's do, uh, let's do some lab work. You were given a note card on your way in. Would you grab that? Boys and girls, you too, either a note card or if you've got a bag, you may have your little whiteboard. Here's what I want you to do. Uh, the, he's opening up the, to give us enough ambient light. I want you to draw something for me. So let me give you 15 seconds. Draw, I'm serious. You're going to draw something on your note card. Here's what I want you to draw. You just you think about this for a second, and then I'm going to give you a couple of examples. 
I want you to draw on your note card what does your life look like when you are close to God. Boys and girls, I mean you too. I know that's weird. Hold on, I'll give you some examples and help your thinking. But what does your life look like when you're close to God? Yeah, what? You got this. All right, Pete, pull up the next slide for us, if you would. I asked Gina and Michelle this in staff. So Gina saw herself, and there's the sun in front of her. And she just feels connected to light and brightness. This is what her life looks like when she's close to God. Michelle was imagining just a graph and the ups and downs in her life, and, and sometimes she's up and feeling close to God. What does your life look like when you're close to God? Draw it. All right, uh, put down pens and pencils. You can finish, for those of you for whom this was a rich exercise, you can finish it later at home. Uh, I wanna encourage you that just the thinking about that and forcing yourself to express that is itself a possible act of devotion. A number of years ago, I had the opportunity to go, uh, spend a weekend with a, a a life coach and uh, it was a really incredible exercise but he he gave me a little bit of homework some things to think about overnight and then he said come back tomorrow and we'll talk about this he actually owned a lake house so he said you know I was in North Carolina he said you go spend the night at my lake house and come back tomorrow morning we're going to talk about this and some of them were counselly kinds of questions tell me about your mother uh, and some of them were spiritual kinds of questions. It, really, it was a great exercise. I went to his lake house and I got there. It was a spectacular day. It was at the end of the day. And he had this beautiful tree outside of his lake house. I cannot draw stick figures. You think I'm exaggerating. This is just a talent I do not have. Those goofy uh, images that you saw earlier from Michelle and Gina, that is way beyond my artistic ability. And I sat out on his, the patio of his lake house, and uh, I don't even know why. I've never done this in my life before or since, but I drew this tree and the surrounding scene, and it was good. <laughs> I, I kind of was stunned, and it was unbelievably rich. I felt so chill and so connected afterwards. Uh, just creative devotional life. Now we, we engage in creative devotional life. We go for it because we need God. He's the air we breathe. 